the word of the witness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she's, she's acting like she hasn't practiced that 50 times <laughs> since now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys rewatch podcast. This is a reminder that this is a rewatch podcast, which means we've seen the whole series and hopefully you have too. Otherwise, you will be spoiled early and often. Please turn it off now. Go back. You don't want to be spoiled. Okay, thanks. This is Beep, and we have for you today a special mini-sode of interview highlights. We've been on hiatus for much of a brutal summer, and we wanted to share some fun little tidbits with you guys. So you'll hear clips from our conversations with writer, director, creator, Mr. Terry Metalis, uh, Cassie's very own Amanda Shule, the witness herself, Allison Down, our very dear Scav King, Todd Stashwick, and writer-slash-number-one Red Forest truther, Mr. Sean Tretta. Hope you guys enjoy. You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, I think it all came organically. I, I never was like, I didn't wake up and, you know, and certainly when, when, when Travis and I were coming up with the pilot, we didn't be like, so what is this really about? Um, because at first it was like, let's, well, the pilot was, let's get some popcorn and make a great time travel thriller. <laughs> and then as we dug deeper, my father passed during, during while making the show. And it's just something that's always been in my mind. You know, it's like the theme of, I don't know if you know the musical Rent, which is just no day but today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's a powerful statement. It's, you know, it's carpe diem. It, it's all that. It, it's, and it's something that when it comes to time travel, it's just not, you know, you're so focused on going back and making a change or going forward, blah, blah. It's like, but now is probably the most important thing there is because, you have everything you have now that you, you know, and, and so I think when, I think when my, my, my father passed, it was, you, you always be like, well, I had a moment where, and I would tell myself that in those moments where I was like, I should call my parents and tell them I love them. And so it's sort of this thing that I subscribe to and it sort of organically came out. And what, in fact, when the finale script was written, the line happily ever now was not in the finale script. It wasn't until we were cutting and uh, I always knew like, I was like, we had to get the script done so we could shoot it. And, but I always knew whatever Cole Cole's last uh, monologue was that we needed to stick the point hard. Um, and in fact, we tried it, you know, originally Jennifer, we tried it with Jennifer and it was like, it just wasn't right to do it with Jennifer. It had to be Cole's voice, the best, the bookend. Um, and so I was just driving home one night and have the word the words happily ever now seemed just like the right way to end the show and so that's where that came from as far as other themes i feel like redemption is a thing that that we uh we really explored on almost all of our characters i think it was about cole and you know the 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 the, the, who you are today is not who you are tomorrow so you know we make mistakes you know and can we can we, can we, we're not, we might not necessarily undo our mistakes, but we might not be the same person who made those mistakes. Um, and so that new person can deserve a second chance. Todd has his own version of what the deacon one night 
with Cassie is, and it, it's it sounds like I might have been a little depraved. Like it's really <laughs> like he when he speaks of it, there's an intensity, and then Amanda's kind of like, no, no, no. <laughs> it was about it was about body warmth in the cold <laughs> and a whoopsie doodle. Yeah. <laughs> Whoopsie doodle. <laughs> doodle. The scene where I am literally, and it's going to, you're going to get me right now, but um, in Prague, we were shooting, my last scene of shooting on 12 Monkeys was me saying goodbye before my head was cut off. And so I literally, these were the last words I spoke to my castmates in character was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just walk it off, take a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh so, so it was like it was like my my four seasons of working with these people, and I'm sitting there looking at them saying, "And I'll do it all again." It was uh-huh. not acting. It was like it was Todd saying, "Can we can we go back and do it again, please?" Because this was the best job I've ever had. Yes, I remember how I found out Terry will argue with me possibly on this, but I didn't know till I read the 10th script of season three. Um, there were little weird things that like occasionally they'd be like, Allison, you need to try on the witness mask. And I'd be like, Oh, okay, sure. And, um, I, I don't- or the cloak <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's 12 monkeys, right? Like that could be anything or it could be, there are lots of twists and turns and weird things that happen. So I didn't, or I made sure not to put any stock into it, and then um, when I read the last script, that's when I knew. Uh, I yes, I don't. Yes, there's also the time when I was like, "You're the witness." Um, you didn't say no. That, so you didn't say you were the witness. <laughs> you said you're like a, the main villain, and I was like, "Oh, I'm like the main female villain. That's great, yay!" But you didn't <laughs> sit me down and say, "Hey, by the way, you're the witness." I, I, so, I yeah, could, that's, well, that's me, I, it's, but I don't know. We were, we were literally fitting you for the witness costume. What were you like? What was the, <laughs> well, uh, if you were going to be an extra playing the, the, well, you we never like, know. Hey, try this right? on. Uh, yeah. Like, so, yeah, but there were those little things. So obviously I was getting little hints, but again, it's 12 monkeys. Anything can happen. I mean, for, for me, just as a person, I find Olivia inspiring. Um, in her discipline and, and because the world does seem small and fragile if you don't have some kind of a purpose, um, you know, whether that purpose changes um, or is different, you know, for me, I've had a few different purposes, um, you know, in, in my life and, um, and each has driven me in a really beautiful way. And without it, you know, it just, it's almost not as worth living. And so I definitely understand Olivia's um, function there, you know. Um, and I think, too, I mean, she was taught to have this purpose. The Red Forest was her purpose from from conception. And, um, and she did everything in her power to make it happen. So really, I mean, you just got to keep going because you've wrecked everything along the way. You can't really quit now, right? Anyway, I had heard the song on the radio. I was like, well, it's German. And like, I could just see Jennifer going into sort of this fugue state of whatever <laughs> to the song. And, um, 
we were under the gun. And I remember I sent uh, Chris Monfett off. I was like, here's the thing. Germans come in. They're blowing everybody away. Um, the song comes on. And I think it's this. And it has something to do with the explosions. And then he he was like, he's like, look, uh, I may be fired, but he's like, what if it, what if everybody's heads turned into balloons <laughs> in her imagination? And I was like, no, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, so, so you know, he he put all that down the paper, and then I was directing it, and then it was like, well, how do we make this? How do you not? And and so a lot of time went into that sequence. Um, and when I first saw it, you should oh God, you should get our editor Drew on. <laughs> he would. I spent so much time in a room with Drew, uh, Drew Nichols. That I mean, he's more, literally him, Drew, and uh, and and Chris uh, were um, were such the editors were very much uh, authors on the show as well. But when they showed me the 99 <laughs> balloon sequence, he turned and looked at me and smiled so proud. And I <laughs> was so scared. This is my, this is the first thing I ever directed. I was like, cut it right now. Cut it completely out of the show. And he's like, what? Wait a minute. No. Yes. I said that. I was like, cut it. I, I, I said, I've jumped the shark. I went too far. He's like, no, 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 no. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And I'm like, it's not, I, people are going to hate me. They're going to, I can't do this. I can't do this. He's like, you're just, and that, by the way, that happens. It just happens. You're just so unsure of what you've done sometimes. And so it took, I was like, all right, I'll leave it in for the cut and we'll just see how it plays. Um, and, and anyone who had saw it laughed. I, I just wasn't sure. I, I just wasn't really, really, I mean, I, I'd gone down the road. I went as far as I could with it, with the slow-mo and twirling and blowing away <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then it was the studio and the network, like, overwhelming, like, we love this. And then they were like, we want to put this in all the promos and this, that, and the other thing. Um, I was like, all right, maybe this, maybe this will work. So that's the story behind that one. His father obviously related to Bender because mm-hmm. his father would have been uh, an 80s kid. Mm-hmm. And so his father, watching The Breakfast Club, saw another kid with cigarette burns on his arm. Right. And, and I think Deacon got that song because his father would sing it um, oh. and because his father related to Bender and, you know, passed on the scars that his father gave to him to Deacon. Um, and so that song was resonant because it was the song his father sang. We knew she knew for sure way more than she was telling. That, you know, uh, I think it's fate that I found you. We knew that he was going to go back and meet a young Joan. And when we introduced the idea of Hannah as a baby, that started, I mean, that's super early on when you see, I think you see the picture of Hannah in the Night Room episode. Do you see the baby? I forget when you really... The blanket, yeah. The blanket. Yeah, Yeah. the blanket, right. That's the first. And it was at that moment, knowing that we were going to do this whole mystery about Cole's mom, Marion, that the only answer to me that felt surprising was that that was his mother. Um, So I knew in season one that the baby was going to be Cole's mother. Terry and I talked about it when we were shooting that, and Terry was saying, and he did actually tell me, you two have already had a kid together at this point when we were shooting that ep- the episode oh, yeah. where um, and that was that was hard to sort of fill in those blanks with only the few um, breadcrumbs that I had uh, but 
And you said to me also, um, you actually said, there's a very good chance that you gave yourself this intentionally for him to come back to find you because you know that if you have the plague, he'll have to come back to you. Right. And and so those were those were ideas that I knew going into the scene where she gives him the paper um, mm-hmm. and kind of gives him the last final clue that it was maybe all intentional, you know, to to get to that moment. That's right. I think in 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 the the original script, I think she it was before uh, she says a name. I don't know if I ever made a draft to you, but it was she before she died. She said Ethan's name. Yeah, I think I don't know. Remember whether it was a draft or whether you told. Yeah, it, we we, yeah. we did write that, um, and so you would be like, okay, who the fuck is Ethan? And you wouldn't find out till season three. Well, I think Olivia. I think Jones is probably the person that Olivia respects the most. Um, because Jones is the only living person that um, could really uh, be equal to Olivia in her, at her level. And so I think there is a lot of respect there and awe there. And um, I can't help. I mean, I just love Barbara. So probably my love for Barbara just kind of comes through. Um, and um, But I think that if Olivia would ever love anybody in whatever way you want to, you want to, categorize that love it would be jones yeah so that that was the that was in the courtyard of the castle in prague it was supposed to be england but yeah prague it's very revealing that cole realized that deacon's pain comes from the loss of family and um and i the reason he took a shine immediately to cole when he meets him in atari uh is because of that immediate, oh my God, it's like staring at my brother again. And he was um, trans, what's transposing? What's the word? Projecting. Transference. Uh, oh, that Transference. Works, yeah, I was, I, was pro- I was projecting my brother, which is why I so wanted things to work out with Cole. And I was, I was kind of grooming him to go, no, you're going to be sit at the right hand of the brother, right? You're going to fill in that piece that is missing in my soul. So I think I just kept wanting him to be that for me because I so desperately needed it. And no one else was filling that hole. Oddly, in many ways, Jennifer did because she was much more of a sibling to me than Cole was allowing himself to be. I think it's incredibly distinct. Um, and, And I think 12 Monkeys is ahead of its time. I mean, really, if you think about it, I'm trying to think of all the characters, but anybody in a position of power or influence or of import um, is a woman. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have Jones, you have Olivia, you have Rayleigh, you have Jennifer, you know, I mean, right away, the, you know, the movie that this was inspired by, you know, the character was changed from a man to a woman, the Brad Pitt character. And, and, and I just, I think that's incredible. And it's not, women in positions of power and they wear short skirts and they're super sexy and, you know, they have a lot of sex and, you know, this is women in positions of power and their purpose, uh, you know, is, is higher than that. And I, I think that's incredibly rare. And, um, I, I, I feel very privileged to have been part of a show where women are showcased for the smart, um, and and beautiful and soulful and complicated uh, leaders that we really are. I think one of the things I find most interesting about this particular relationship is their power 
and their power struggle and, um, and how they're equals in so many ways. And they don't, they, they start out as from such different worlds and maybe, you know, it's the, it's the brawn and the brains. And then it just gets so tangled and woven in so many ways where they understand each other's worlds in so many different ways to where this relationship just is able to travel through time. I mean, I, I can't even begin to, I'm obviously grasping to try to explain this because it's so much deeper, deeper than anything I've ever understood from a character that's written because it was also the layers and the accumulation of our experiences on set that fueled my respect and understanding for Aaron Stanford as a person as well. And, um, and I think the more I got to know him and hopefully the more he got to know me, the more I trusted him. And I think the more Cassie trusted him. And it's a, it's a relationship based on complete physical trust and, a love that is born out of time, literally, so that it can't even be explained in words that exist in our language. It's, it has to be. It's fated. No matter what they do, they're bound together. And, and it, was, um, it was so complex. There are so many reasons why it shouldn't work. And then just one really big reason why it had to. And now the red forest debate. I'm of, I'm not even of two minds. I'm of so many minds. And Terry and I actually pretty hotly debated this in Prague for a while. Um, we did? Yeah, we did. And you were calling me dark and dark hearted. I think, I think I was kind of siding with Sean's perspective on it. And mm-hmm. because, oh gosh. Um, that silence is the is the sound of hearts breaking. <laughs> Twelve months. In case you're wondering, but why are you saying hearts breaking? Because not stopping the countdown is the most romantic thing she could possibly have done. That would be to live eternity in the happiest of moments, and her happiest of moments are all with Cole and her child, and living in the fifties in the house of cedar and pine. And how could you dare say that that isn't the most beautiful thing that she could choose to do? I, I mean, if you're asking, I think it's. Are you actually asking me? Because I, I think I, I think it's selfish, I, and I also don't think it. it you know, I, I think I, we texted about this last night. I, I think it makes Cassie weak. Personally, I, I think it like she doesn't complete her arc. And I don't think she listens to Cole, who's saying that an ending is what makes a life fullest. Um, so in that in in that version, she would have to be like, nah, fuck it, Cole. I, I'm going against what you think and what we have fought for for four years and I'm going to just make this choice for the entire universe. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if that's, I, I, I understand it. And it's, Okay. It's, so I it, see it, that argument and I see that you're saying that that would make her weak, but you know, it's that episode when she realizes, and we, we shot it differently. And I, I, at the beginning of the episode, when she says that she's owed, they're mm-hmm. owed time owes them after everything that they've done. It's almost like she's she's 
making the argument that the one for seven billion is how she's going to proceed, right? So, I mean, in foreshadowing, you could say that that that's where her stance is, you know, hours, days, whatever it is, until she reaches um, the balcony in Titan. And and so I get your argument, and I don't even know whether I'm playing devil's advocate at this point just for the sake of it, but is it is it weak when she's just reclaiming what she's owed at that point? Uh, I, I, I think so. I, I mean, I... I, I because it's I, for I, love? But I think it, the other thing is for love, too. I mean, he's saying, don't do that. You know, he, he's saying, I really don't want you to do that. <laughs> and when none of us, none of us want you, and Ramsey, even Ramsey's come around. And I, you know, I just, is if Ramsey's stronger than Cassie, I don't know what we wrote. You know, so I, I don't okay, know. I object to that. Ramsey- <laughs> I did. I went right for the jugular right there. <laughs> I, know how to t- I know how to turn Amanda around. <laughs> um, Ramsey hasn't turned around. He doesn't n- come around. He doesn't know what he, he doesn't know the extent to, of what he's fighting for at that point. Uh, I know he does. I think no, he, he doesn't. Does. <laughs> yeah, he knows it's not about, it's the end of the universe and, and the Red Fork. Look, I digress. But the, the point is, I, I, and I just don't know if it makes sense, um, narratively that she would not have hit the button. But like, we, look, it's, it's the, it, the, this discussion is what, you know, we set out to do, you know, so it, it's not clearly defined and it, it truly is up to the audience. Although, there was a fan on that Facebook page who made the most uh, intelligent argument yet, just from a point of view perspective, is why would you cut to the planet if you're in the Red Forest? Like, who's that for? The audience? Is the audience in the Red Forest? You know, so... Um, well, also, we do have to say that when we shot it, you did shoot um, me actually pressing the button. You just right. chose not to put that in. Right, right. So, so it's, it's up we, to you. Yeah. All those things were, of course, designed to get you to that moment where it's like, did she turn it off or didn't she? Um, and so, did she? Uh, okay. So here's the thing. <laughs> for, for me, for me, the truly, it is the the right ending is the one you choose, right? And. Um, so many people would get upset when I would when I would go down the rabbit hole of why they're in the red forest and um, and the interesting thing I always find is that they're like no I like the happy ending and for me it's like why isn't the red forest that you see a happy ending because they look pretty happy in fact everyone looks pretty happy and you know so much of life is you know being on this journey and thinking very rigidly about certain things. And then it's okay to get to the end and realize you're wrong, you know? And so I never saw, I like, you know, Terry's like, cause he and Kristen have dark souls. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I actually think it's, it's, I actually think it's a very bittersweet, beautiful outcome. I mean, think about it. What is, our traditional notion of the afterlife other than our consciousness, our conscious, how do you pl- pluralize consciousness? Our conscious nigh or whatever. Um, <laughs> I like our that. consciousness <laughs> is existing outside the confines of time, right? 
Like, and, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a religious person and we didn't have, you know, I don't think anybody in the room was tremendously, you know, religious. So there isn't any religious hitting message, hidden messages or anything. But um, I thought it was incredibly interesting that what if something that looks like hell on the outside, once you're in it, feels like the opposite. Um, so I don't feel like those characters are in purgatory. I feel like they're happy together forever and that doesn't seem like a unhappy ending to me um so when you have the people like whether it be cole or cassie or um shaw or whoever kind of presenting or even jones presenting their different ideas of what they think it is mm -hmm. that's just from their perspectives and in, in your mind it could this ending could have been like yeah, the reality I mean, of the red force i always thought you know, and, and people would say, like, well, it's not the Red Forest because Red Forest is the hell on Earth. And I would use this analogy in the room. I would say, you know, okay, so most people nowadays have Macs, so they don't have this problem. But in the old days, I had, like, a PC. And um, when you get a new program for a, a, a PC, you'd, you'd go to lo load it, and it doesn't necessarily work because you have to install separate you know, codecs or applications, like I need Adobe Flash Player, blah, 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 right? Um, so without that connective piece, that program is just a mess of data, right? And I think outside looking in, like when those, like in season two, when those puffs of the red forest appear in the forest and it's like the soldier gets put in, suddenly he's old, he's young, he's dead, he's alive and all this other stuff. To me, that was just from the outside looking in the raw data of basically any possibility existing at once, right? But once the Red Forest takes a hold of everything and you're sort of, you have that plugin, you have that thing that allows you to read the Red Forest, suddenly it works and it's beautiful and it's what it promises to be. Um, because I don't think Shaw and I don't think Olivia and I don't all these, I don't think they're, I never saw them as being incredibly arch or that they, they're hell-bent on destroying the world. I think they legitimately believe that this Red Forest is the answer um, to everything. You know, I listen. I listen to Sean's thing, and he's such a provocateur. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, um, I think... I think it's a happy ending and I don't think it's a, it's a, uh, it's an artificial happy ending, which is what the red forest is. Uh, I think it's a true happy ending God. where two, uh, two people can, who sacrificed everything or all these people sacrificed everything to, uh, put the world back together. So I think the world got put back together. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm not a cynic that way. Like <laughs> I think, I think, uh, I think the red forest is, is artificial when we say it's, it's a happy ending. If it's just sort of repeating at one moment, like that's Selma, you know, that's, that's a blissed out, it's a drug trip. It's not genuine because, because without, without the temperance of sadness, there is no true happiness. So if you're in the perfect moment for the rest of your life, that isn't true happiness because it's just, uh, it's a drug trip. Because there's nothing tested, you know. There's nothing. There's nothing to hold it up against. There's nothing earned. If you might give us a few bars of "Don't You Forget About Me." Don't you forget about me? I'll be alone, dancing, you know it, baby. There you go. Thank Hi. you so uh, much. I They're gonna die. So you don't let's, even. Let's know. all. 
let's all rave out with 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 the lala, shall we? <laughs> I say la 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 la. Come on, la 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 la. Hope you guys all enjoyed that. Cece and I will be back at the end of September talking nature with Selena. Until then, we'll see you soon.